This is Agri-Futures On Air, brought to you by Agri-Futures Australia, driving innovation in Australian agriculture. It's said that artificial intelligence and machine learning will play an ever-increasing role in our day-to-day lives. Of course, it's happening already in manufacturing, healthcare, in finance, and even in the home. I recently read about Ollie, a voice-controlled AI assistant, similar to Google Home, that over time takes on the personality of its owner, recognising facial expressions and voice inflections, and proactively starts conversations and makes suggestions along the way. An interesting proposition in some households, I imagine. Today, we'll hear about how artificial intelligence has the capacity to change the face of agriculture by allowing your smartphone to quickly identify problems you may come across in the paddock. The company is called Go Micro, and the company's CEO, Sivan Krish, presented at the 2020 Evoke Ag, sparking some interest. His product, the part that you can put in your hand, is a simple plastic microscope designed by Sivan using 3D printing that attaches to your phone. But it's what happens then that's really exciting. Sivan, welcome, first of all, to AgriFutures On Air. I may not have done Go Micro enough justice in my intro, so please tell us about the company at that strategic level. Okay. So Go Micro is hoping to put the power of AI in the hands of every farmer to analyse anything that can be analysed by AI, particularly pests, leaf disease, and also produce quality. So I believe that we are living in an incredible time where everybody has got this awesome device called the phone, which is then connected to the cloud. And it has comes with this awesome camera. And when you put it all together, you can do amazing things. So what we do is we use the phone to capture pictures sample images and we use artificial intelligence to learn to discriminate then when you present it with a new picture it'll tell you what it is because we've already trained it so that's the application we are developing with the form okay well we'll get into that in a lot more detail in just a moment but i just wanted to get a little bit of background from you so from what i've seen you were involved fairly heavily in the early development of 3D printing. Tell me about that. So I'm one of these guys who tends to jump in a bit too early on on things. So I was teaching design in Singapore and 3D printing was just coming out. And we discovered you could create things with it. And not only you could create, customers could also create what they want to create. So we created, I believe, the world's first consumer creation portal where you could go to a web page, design your thing, and get it printed. It was a stupid idea. It was far too early. People were asking me what 3D printing is. The company actually failed. So that gave me a good start in 3D printing because despite all the hype that you can do anything, we realized that you can't and there are severe limitations. But what we learned is how do we 
do stuff with those limitations. A good example that I bring up is icing of cake, right? I mean, icing is a very weak material, but you can create incredible decorations with it if you understand how it works. So same thing with 3D printing. It's really cheap, really available technology. Plastic is a weak material. And essentially by designing things properly with 3D printing, you can do things, but you really need to understand the material well enough and, and the technology well enough to do incredible things. Now, what this skill allowed me to do is we, we were able to create hundreds of design variations till it actually worked. So we don't have injection molding. We don't have to spend that $30,000, dollars $50,000 creating injection molds. We could knock out designs in next to no time and try variations. So it's an incredibly different way of designing. And this allowed us to create, we actually started this as, a, as an education venture to teach kids about the things around them. So it actually started as a kid's product. Then we were looking at what else we can do with this. And we talked to somebody who was a doctor and said, wow, this is amazing. You can do skin cancer with it. So within a day, we modified it to do skin cancer. Then we found out there's applications in agriculture. Then we heard about the fruit fly infestation in South Australia. Then we designed something for fruit fly. The reason why we were able to do this in a very short time without any significant investment is because we have, I would say, mastered the art of 3D printing, which allows us to do things at, at a blazing speed and, and try it out. So without your experience in 3D printing, Go Micro wouldn't be doing what it is now. Is absolutely, that what you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, that's really a competitive advantage. So we are based now in the Flinders University, where there's also laser cutting. So we are doing what's called advanced manufacturing. We have a tabletop, we use a laser cutting machine, and we use domestic ovens to bend acrylic, and we build all our jigs. It's just a tabletop manufacturing. But on a tabletop, we have manufactured 3,000 microscopes in Australia, sold it profitably. So that's what you can do when you take the hype out of 3D printing, and really understand its power and potential to actually make things that actually go into a market without investment and molding and factories and stuff. So just to be clear here, the microscopes, which are an important part of GoMicro's uh, goods, I suppose, are actually printed off a 3D printer. Correct. The, the diffuser is, the clip is an acrylic sheet that we cut using a laser printer. Only the lens is important. What 3D printing is really good is building a small run operations, 100 to 100 products. Once it goes beyond a certain volume, then it's obviously cheaper to mass manufacture, but we can make the transition quite nicely. So that's the trajectory we are on. I just want to go back to the artificial intelligence. How are you able to take what a relatively a few number of pictures of, say, a leaf disease or something like that, and get the accuracy that you're claiming in diagnosing it? So I have no particular expertise in artificial intelligence. We were basically finding out what applications we can have. So obviously, agriculture was one of them. But the fruit fly problem in South Australia is a major problem because South Australia is a fruit fly-free state, and there's fruit flies that are trapped. There are about 3,000 traps here. So we thought, aha, maybe we can identify fruit fly. But, you know, fruit flies are not very good at posing. So 
Now the assumption is you need a couple of thousand images to get up to about 70% accuracy. So we had foot fly and then we also need to train on other flies. So we went around the, the building, collected a whole lot of house flies and everything that got hit on the road or the windows and collected a whole lot of flies. We were shocked to see the accuracies. So with 50 images, we were hitting 80% straight on. And that was a complete shock because you know, you need thousands of images to get to 70%, and here we are with 50 images, we are hitting 80%. So we didn't really know why this was happening, and then we realized something. We were completely eliminating the, the background around the fly, and we were completely eliminating the shadows around the fly. The reason why you need thousands of images is because you need to, the AI engine need to extract what is a fly, looking at all kinds of backgrounds, it has to be able to differentiate between the backgrounds. So, so essentially by eliminating the background and the shadows, you stop confusing the AI engine. It's a very simple thing. We just accidentally discovered this. So this is against what everybody else is doing, collecting images in the thousands, some of them on the millions, and they're trying to crawl up the accuracy from maybe 70 to 72%. We are now past 80, we are shooting to be the above 90 range. I'm fairly confident from what we know in the research of competition, so we are probably the best game globally in being able to build very high accuracy engines. Now that's one thing. So AI, like any other computer, is junk in, junk out. So we put clean data in to train the AI engine, but we also put clean images in to analyze what it is. So our device creates very clean images. So by combining a very good quality AI engine and by feeding it with very good quality pictures, we're on top of the game. So that's what we do. And is that transferable to uh, other aspects or other areas that you're looking at, uh, for instance, mineral deficiency and plant disease and so okay, on? Okay, absolutely. So, so, for example, if you ask me what one disease versus other disease, I don't really know. Same with insects. So AI is a very generic technology right now, particularly uh, what we are using. And as long as you can detect by eye, we can train a machine. So the general thinking is this, that anything a human expert can detect purely by looking, AI can detect and eventually do better. So anything that people can analyze visually, we can. And we have an added advantage because there's magnification. So you get more information that you get, you know, than what you can get. So we can get information beyond the limits of the human eye. So that makes it even more accurate. Let's just take the fruit fly again. You've taken clean images of it without shadow, etc. But in nature, it's going to have those shadows. So, ah. <laughs> Good question. Very good question. So, yes, but then the engine is trained on clean images. And then when you deploy it with, within a nice background, it still works very nicely. Okay. All right. So that's the, I suppose, the farmer side of Go Micro's uh, target audience. But you're also looking a bit further down the value chain, particularly in food quality. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, so that again is an accidental kind of discovery. We were looking at what else this can do, and we realized you know, food waste is a major problem. About 30 to 40 percent of food produced is wasted. And we started looking at, you know, can you decide whether banana is ripe or not? And we bought a few bananas from the supermarket, you know, kept it in the fridge, kept it outside, and took 50 images to see whether it could differentiate the two, and it did a beautiful job. So most of the fruit grading machines just work on color. They look at color. In fruits like mangoes and banana, the ripeness is correlated to the color. So fruit grading machines grade by size and color. But we got something extra here. We got skin, right? So the skin of fruits change as much as skin of human. I mean, a human baby skin, if you look at it under microscope, is very different to an adult skin, right? So... So that's giving a completely different layer of information. And essentially, that allows us to measure ripeness a lot more accurately than any method that uses just you know, video or AI technology. So when you combine that, so this is not a mass technology, but it's a spot-checking technology. And what we are now doing is we're also developing to assess individual fruits and also a reasonable size fruits, uh, say maybe 10 to 100, sorry, 100 to 100 tomatoes, because we don't want to go into industrial automation because there are machines and technologies there. So we are in that space, but that's how it started by just looking at banana skin and seeing whether we're able to differentiate ripeness. So where does the company's revenue come from? Is, Is it from selling the microscopes? No. So our game plan is to distribute the microscopes as much as possible. So we don't intend to make money selling microscopes. We intend to essentially monetize the per click, the AI diagnostics. So what that means is that when people click, we have an opportunity to have some revenue. So for example, for ripeness, we might charge, we might say, okay, 1,000 clicks for $10 or whatever. But we also want to give this diagnostic capacity for farmers for free. And the only way we can do that is to give the diagnostics for free and then perhaps have some ad revenue based on, you know, whatever, because once they diagnose a disease or a pest, obviously they're going to do something about it and that provides us a chance to sell ads. So that's the model. So that way it allows, uh, enables us to give the diagnostics also for free. Okay, so for instance, a farmer might take a picture of a problem that he's got with a particular leaf and click somewhere on your website and have that diagnosed and then presumably an ad for a chemical that solved the problem would pop up. Is that the idea? That's correct. Now, we have to be very careful here. We are not agronomists. We don't have domain skills, right? So we are thinking about AI in a completely different way to what most people are thinking. So most people are taking responsibility for the AI diagnostics because they charge for that. We are looking at AI in a completely different way. We think our solution is a great way to deliver human expertise, right? Because nobody trusts AI and nobody should, right? So... People trust people. People trust institutions that have capacity. So our strategy is to deliver human expertise. So behind every AI engine, there's going to be an institution or a human expert who has actually used it 
tested it, validated it. And then we see our platform as a way of delivering their expertise to the world. So that's a diagnostic expertise. But once it's diagnosed, we are not in a position to recommend because we really don't know. So like Google Ads, we will very clearly state this is an advertisement. This is not what we are recommending. Between the diagnostics and what to do, there is an opportunity for advice, which is what agronomists do. We may involve agronomy organizations to deliver that advice, but that's a third-party advice. We are not in a position to provide that advice. Now, we are also going to launch a one-dollar microscope in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And there we are working with universities and government departments who will then step in and give that advice. And the ads will be served last. So from what you've said then, GoMicro as a company right now, it's really at the the birth, I suppose, the, the formation of the company. It's It seems to be going in a couple of different directions, finding its feet. Is that a, an accurate way of describing it? Oh, yes. That's a very charitable way of, of describing it. <laughs> Most people see us as a clueless company not knowing what we're doing <laughs> because we're all over the place. That's also true. But we now have traction, we have fans, we have people who love what we do, and we are going to build a great company doing a lot of different things because we are a platform. We allow a lot of people to do really cool things in very different areas. So I'm not fussed about that, but it causes a lot of concern and confusion. <laughs> oh well. Let's talk about Evoke Ag. You were there last year and I saw your presentation. Um, how did things go there? Oh, that was fantastic. Really, really good for us because, you know, we're really not in agriculture and it was a big disadvantage for us not being from agriculture. We didn't have the networks. Of course, we didn't have the credibility. So that was a big struggle for us. And we had great difficulty in getting people interested in what we are doing, excited about what we are doing, or even to use or test what we are doing. So suddenly this whole opportunity to connect with the agricultural community and the entrepreneurial community in Australia just made such a huge difference for us. It opened so many doors and it's made us what we are today. That was a pivotal opportunity for us. Tell me how that worked. What has happened since Evoke Ag that's so good for you? Okay, so the great thing that happened, what we gained a lot from it is talking to other companies in the same space. You realize they, they face similar challenges that every startup does. So it's so a lot of peer-to-peer advice and, and support to understand how the system works. But on top of that, you know, we met a lot of VCs who are looking to invest. We met people from various organizations who uh, showed some interest in, in what we're doing. And we gained a lot of confidence that, look, we are now being taken seriously. And there's a lot of interest. Obviously, some of this interest will take some time to mature. But we, we felt that, look, we are finally in the game. We are taken seriously. And, you know, we are amongst the top few companies that had the privilege to be chosen. So it was a huge moral boost as well for us. Beyond that, the most beneficial thing that happened to us is that I met, you know, personally the people who run the gate incubation program. 
that really really helped us to find our feet as to take the next steps because okay we've now got some publicity we, we are known but how do you actually connect to the market and we were still struggling with that and the, the incubation program really helped us there so i think those are the benefits we've had by participating in evoke so sivam just tell me where you think your company will be in 12 months from now well, all over the news, I would think. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> all over the news. I really got the impression from Sivan that Go Micro is fast moving and is willing to take well calculated leaps in its development, which may become the norm in a world where technology is moving us so rapidly towards the future. Sivan Krish from Go Micro. Now, with the 2021 Evoke Ag event cancelled, The 2022 Evoke Ag in Perth should be an eye-opener to see just how far agricultural-focused innovation has come in two years instead of one. Thanks for listening today. My name is Chris Brown. You've been listening to Agri-Futures On Air, a weekly podcast brought to you by Agri-Futures Australia. 